Good morning, this is attorney Vince Davis, and the show is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives, or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fights. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box, at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. Good morning, everyone. Today I'm going to be talking about some trial strategies and talking about how you might possibly want to strategize with your attorney and get the... um, try to win these cases. I'm going to give you an example of a case that I'm doing right now. Um, The trial is set in a few weeks, but um, it's important that you meet with your client, or excuse me, you meet with your attorney um, for those uh, trial strategy sessions. So in this particular trial, I've met with my client already three times, and in the next two weeks, we're going to be meeting about three more times uh, to talk about trial strategy. So here's the basics. And there's something that I have in my office that we call the trial uniform. And it's important because the people making these decisions, usually the judges and the commissioners and the referees of the juvenile court, they're human beings. And they react to other human beings the same way we, re- we react. So don't come to court in shorts, T-shirts, and flip-flops. It's not going to make a good impression. And when people make decisions in their subconscious mind and in in their conscious mind, uh, they take a look at how you look um, when making those calls. I know there are some people that tell me, oh, that shouldn't matter. Well, you're right. It shouldn't matter in a perfect world. But we don't live in a perfect world. And judges are human beings just like we are human beings. Now, the trial uniform for men is a dark blue or dark gray suit. Dark blue or dark gray. White shirt. And if it's in the morning, I like them to to wear those presidential blue ties. You know, a solid color tie, but, you know, that light blue solid color. You know, the kind that you see uh, the politicians wear on the news. There is a reason why they wear that that color shirt and tie and suit, and it has to do with influence, influence of the viewers, influence of the people who are listening to you speak. Uh, There's something that happens in the subconscious mind with that color combination, uh, so you want to get every benefit of the doubt. Of course, black shoes shined, and um, I also suggest, sometimes required depending on the case, all of my male clients to be clean-shaven. No beards, no mustaches, no goatees. It gives an edge um, to you. Do you have, psychologically, they say, you have more credibility when you're clean-shaven. And, of course, haircut and, you know, you look neat and clean. For women, there is also a trial uniform. The trial uniform is similar to the men's uh, uniform, And 
It is a dark blue or dark gray pantsuit with a white blouse. Always recommend that um, they wear very simple and plain jewelry. And what I recommend is that it's a pearl necklace or a fake pearl necklace and the stud pearl earrings. And they don't have to be real. You can get them at uh, Target or JCPenney's or just about anywhere, you know, for $29.99 or $39.99. So that's the women's uniform. Oh, and the heels for women, you know, about one to two inches. We're not going to the club, so we're not going to wear really high heels. And on the women, it's going to be very little makeup and hair pulled back in a ponytail outside of the face. We want to give the judge a clear uh, view of the face, an unobstructed view, so that he or she can see the credibility when you speak and when you talk. Now, that's the trial uniform. Getting back to the actual preparation, maybe two or three weeks before the trial, you should meet with your attorney, either in person or by telephone, and you should discuss the witnesses that you are going to bring to court and that need to be brought to court for you to testify. So, for example, in that case that I was telling you about that I have for trial in a couple of weeks, um, we have a list of eight people uh, who we want to testify in that case. Now, we list and count the mother and the father as two people. We've also listed a minor child to testify Uh, who happens to be about 13 or 14 years old, and we've listed the social workers, the emergency response worker, and the dependency investigator, the one who wrote the jurisdictional dispositional report. And we have other witnesses, for example, a police officer, uh, for example, an investigating detective. We also have a medical doctor, a treating physician, and we also have an ER room doctor who's coming in. Um, And those are important witnesses because they're they're treated as expert witnesses for a lot of things that they say. They're authoritative, and they're doctors. Society loves doctors. Look at all the shows about doctors that have been on TV. We just love doctors. So what they have to say, we usually accept uh, without hesitation. Not always, but usually. In this particular case, we've interviewed the doctors and we've made sure that the doctors are going to be testifying the way we expect uh, to prove that there was not child abuse in this particular case. Same for the detectives and the same for the um, police officers. Now, we also have the social workers on the uh, list of witnesses because we want to cross-examine the social workers. For example, in this particular case, the original social worker, who I'll call the emergency response worker, wrote a report called the detention report, which the judge relied upon in taking the children away from the parents at the beginning of the case. And that's the way the law is supposed to go. However, in this particular case, um, the social worker quoted an important witness as saying ABC. Uh, specifically, the witness said this child should be taken away from these parents. Well, in preparing for the case, uh, we called the uh, this witness, and we were going over some things and telling the witness, hey, we're going to subpoena you to court and 
you know, the witness wasn't very happy about that. And uh, my assistant read to the witness what the social worker recorded her statement as being. <clears throat> and the witness told my assistant, I never said that to that social worker. I never said that to anyone. As a matter of fact, I've never met that social worker. So when I was told that um, by my assistant, I, of course, wanted to verify that. And I called the witness back, and we played phone tag. And begrudgingly, the witness talked to me again. You know, really didn't want to be involved in, in, in this case, but unfortunately, it's America. <clears throat> People have to serve on juries. People have to come to court to testify. And the witness verified to me that um, she had never said that to the social worker. In fact, you know, she said again, she had never met any social worker in this case, but that she did know the family. And, you know, she had things to say that she had seen and um, that type of thing, but that she had never met a social worker, never spoken to a social worker, and never met the police officer, either police officer or the detective. So I'm wondering, <clears throat> why is the statement in the report having this witness say ABC, and the witness says, number one, I've never said that, number two, I've never even met the social workers in this case. So obviously that's an important witness that you would want to have at your trial, uh, the witness that will prove that the social worker has reported inaccurately. I was involved in another case a few weeks ago in my office. I wasn't actually the attorney working on it, but one of my attorneys came to me and told me this story. <clears throat> the report contained several paragraphs that didn't even relate to, the, to, the, to this family. In other words, the social worker, when she cut and pasted uh, the report, and they use templates just like we all do for different things, uh, she left a lot of information in the report regarding another family, another report that she apparently was working on, and it had a whole lot of, you know, detrimental stuff, uh, but it didn't apply to our case. Now, I can only assume that that was a mistake, but, um, you know, how does that happen? Uh, I guess, you know, like I said, we're human beings when we make mistakes, but uh, people will expect a little bit more when making reports to judges under penalty of perjury that are going to be used to make decisions about whether someone should keep their kids or not have their kids. So it's important to have that witness list. And you want to go over that witness list with your attorney, be it a private attorney or a court-appointed attorney. You have to go over the witness list and you have to expect or review what that witness may say or may not say at the time of trial. You know, when I was in law school, one of the uh, things that we learned was you really, in trial advocacy, you really shouldn't um, subpoena a witness to court that's going to not testify favorably for you. And I use that general rule. In every case, <clears throat> there are, you know, good witnesses and bad witnesses and good evidence and bad evidence against you. And that goes against any litigant, even the social worker. Um, and so you have to be careful who you bring to court, put on the stand. So you, the, one of the first things that you should do is make sure you go over that witness list with your attorney. And you decide and the attorney decides that that witness is needed. Once the, that witness list is complete, you want to make sure that you and your attorney uh, subpoena those witnesses to court. Now, this is a juvenile dependency case, 
that in California, you don't have to pay for police officers uh, to come to court to testify. So, for example, in a civil case or even in a family law divorce case, when we're talking about child custody and visitation, if you subpoena a police officer uh, to court, you will probably have to put up a deposit for that person's appearance. Uh, that's get the California government code. I forget the section. But in a juvenile court case, criminal case, you don't have to pay for that person. So the only thing that you might have to pay for is for that witness to be subpoenaed by the sheriff's department or by a licensed processor. And depending on the amount of time and work to subpoena someone, you know, uh, the cost could vary anywhere from $50 to $150. But these are necessary things that must be done. <clears throat> if you're a court-appointed, if you have a court-appointed attorney, those attorneys, from what I understand, are supposed to take care of that cost or arrange for the sheriff to do it. And I believe the sheriff will do it for free in a juvenile dependency case. So make sure witnesses are listed. Make sure you know what they're going to say or at least have an idea of what they're going to say and make sure they're subpoenaed on time. Now, I hear this all the time from people. Your subpoena wasn't timely. Now, under California law, there is no time frame. So if I have a trial on Monday and I subpoena you today, arguably I can tell a judge that was within a reasonable time frame, and that's what the law states. You have to have a very good reason after being subpoenaed and not showing up to court. And in order to not show up to court, you're probably going to have to get a, uh, a lawyer, and you're probably going to have to file a motion to quash the subpoena. And, you know, instead of doing all that work, most witnesses try to show up uh, without any argument. Um, I get a lot of grief all the time. You know, the social workers and the county council don't want us to subpoena the workers at home. You know, I have a private investigator. He can find anyone where they live and serve them at home. So what they've done is they've agreed, and this is for all cases, and usually I think in all counties, that if you uh, go to the county council's office, they usually have what's called a subpoena control officer. <clears throat> and that person is uh, designated to accept service for all social workers and uh, make sure that they're in court. And your proof of service will say that you subpoenaed or you served the subpoena control officer. In Los Angeles County, they have a, a policy that if you don't do it within seven days of the trial, that they won't accept the subpoena uh, for, the, for the social worker. And in the past, on a couple of occasions, I've told them, okay, I'll just have my private investigator find out where they live, and we'll serve them at home. And, of course, uh, they suddenly want to accept the subpoena even though it's a two or three days late. So that's the important part about the witnesses. The next important part is what we call the exhibit list. Now, in evidence at the time of trial, all the social workers' reports are going to be admitted, most likely. And that's why I put social workers on the witness list because we need to cross-examine them sometimes. But there also is an exhibit list. Now, a few days ago, I did a trial um, 
at, and the trial was the re, review of the six-month um, hearing. And a couple of days before the trial, I realized that we had not subpoenaed the social worker. And I called the county council and I said, hey, would you make your social worker available? No. It's probably too late. You've waited too late. Blah, 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 blah. I said, okay. So we went to court and I never mentioned the social worker. But it turned out, it's a good thing the social worker wasn't there to say more negative things uh, about my client. I had done some research on a couple cases that I gave the judge, actually one case. So someone on my staff, one of the attorneys and I were talking about this case, and she gave me a case that uh, was almost right on point with my case where, you know, the parent gets the child back. So I gave that case, or I cited that case to the judge at the calendar call and told the judge that I'd be uh, referring to that case. And uh, later on, um, later in the morning, it was apparent to me that the judge either knew about that case or had read the case and indicated uh, that she'd be giving me what I wanted in a tentative decision. Um, so we did the trial uh, by, ar- by argument. I didn't really argue because the judge had already told me what she was going to decide. Uh, but the county counsel was uh, a little disturbed about the case and asked for a stay, which was denied, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Not really whining. She, you know, she was a professional about it. <clears throat> but that's the importance of, you know, witnesses not having witnesses. So the exhibits, you want to have the exhibits uh, listed, and you want to make sure that you subpoena in the person who prepared the exhibit or the custodian of record if it's from a business. Here's the trick. Social workers can use hearsay. So if somebody writes a letter, they can attach it to the report, and it comes into evidence. There's no, realistically, there's no foundational objection, even though sometimes I I make that objection. It's routinely overruled. And there's no hearsay objection because the law states it, you know, comes into, if the social worker attached it to to the report, it must be true. And that's the state of the law. And it always, I always chuckle to myself because my firm also sues social workers who are, um, let's say, who we claim are less than honest and uh, may have either unintentionally or intentionally done something in the case or reported something in the case that isn't true. So the exhibits, you want to make sure that, since you can't use hearsay, you want to make sure that you and your attorney subpoena in the preparer of whatever letter or report you're trying to get into evidence and to um, make sure that those people are there at the time of trial. In that case I was just telling you about, I had three key pieces of evidence. One was a letter from my client's therapist. One was a document that my client received early on in the case from the social worker. And one was a handwritten report from the drug testing facility. And before the trial, we had a chambers conference with the judge 
And um, I got the feeling, although she never said it, that the county council was going to object to those documents coming in because the people who wrote those documents, um, they weren't there. Well, I had them on call. And I think everybody realized that I had them on call. So they were just going to come in and say, yeah, I wrote this letter. This is my signature. And, you know, everything in the letter is true. So, for example, the social worker who wasn't there was arguing that my client didn't get anything out of therapy and, you know, stopped therapy after 12 sessions and she shouldn't have stopped, blah, blah, blah. Well, the letter from the therapist early on said, you've com- basically, you've completed your 12 sessions, you're done, everything's fine, you were in good attendance, you had a good attitude, you know, all good stuff. And, of course, when the, the social worker saw that letter, apparently she tried to uh, talk to the therapist and get her to change her uh, conclusions about my client's therapy and that she needed more therapy and blah, blah, blah. Um, but the letter initially written was what carried the day, and the social worker's attorney hadn't subpoenaed in the therapist, and so I, I knew that this letter was coming in one way or another. And what happened is um, nobody objected to the letter coming in, even though the therapist wasn't there to lay the foundation and to say, yeah, I wrote that letter early on. Um, don't rely on that because I've been in many trials where the social worker's attorney says, no, I'm not letting that in. It's hearsay. Uh, so you and your attorney better have that letter prepared, excuse me, that witness subpoenaed to come into court to at least say, yeah, I wrote this letter. It's all true, and that's my signature. The second document exhibit that I wanted to bring into evidence was actually a form signed by the social worker early on in the case. There was an issue of my client missing a drug test on um, a certain date uh, in May. And my client had been testing maybe four months, and she was testing clean. And on this date, she went to the drug testing facility, and they wouldn't let her drug test. And the reason was that they claimed is that um, my client had not been approved for drug testing past a certain date, which was two days before her showing up for the drug test. And so my client, um, being a little paranoid, decided to ask the drug testing facility for basically a form letter saying, hey, I showed up on this date for a drug test. You refused to give me a drug test because I was no longer in the system. And, um, you know, you need to call your social worker. So the social worker had the audacity to claim that that was a missed drug test for my client. And the court order said that if she missed a drug test or tested dirty, that she then had to get in a full drug program, rehab program. And um, the letter or the form that she received early on in the case, which she kept, I didn't even know she had it, said that she was approved to do drug testing from November 2017 to May 26, I think, no, May 28, 2018, and that was it. My client shows up on May 30th, and she's no longer in the system because the drug testing facility works off of that form approved by the social worker. 
and there were set dates. It's required in the form. As a matter of fact, I don't ever think I've ever remember seeing this type of form. And it was signed by the social worker. So I thought that, remember, I hadn't, we hadn't subpoenaed the social worker in time, so the social worker wasn't going to be there to say, yeah, that's my signature. I like, you know, yeah, that's what the form says. And I suspect that's one of the reasons why they didn't bring the social worker to court, because the social worker forgot that she signed the form that drug testing would be ended on the 28th of May. And if my client showed up on the 30th, she couldn't drug test, no longer in the system. Um, so there was no objection to that, and there was no objection to the form from the drug testing facility saying, okay, you know, this lady showed up on May 30th. We refused to give her a test because she was no longer in the system and that she needs to call her social worker. So if that ever happens to you and you show up, um, go ahead and, uh, you know, request that form. I didn't know drug testing facilities and this particular one here in L.A. County had such a form, but it makes sense because I'm sure this happens quite frequently, especially if the social worker isn't watching the dates of when the social worker approved for the drug testing. You know, cases go on and they continue on past certain dates, things happen, but they don't go back and, and fix the drug testing uh, approvals. So both of those documents came into evidence. The social worker's attorney could have said, I object to those documents coming into evidence and that, um, you know, you have to lay some foundation. I had the, the counselor and somebody from the drug testing facility on call to come in. Um, I suspected that the judge didn't want me to do that because it was just going to waste time, you know, just extends the trial. But I didn't know for sure. And um, they were introduced into evidence without objection. I did have a plan for the social worker form for the drug testing. Um, I was going to argue that even though it's hearsay, it's an admission against interest because the social worker in her report was saying, mom missed this drug test on May 30th and we should hold it against her. In LA County, as in most counties in California, a missed test is considered a dirty test. So, they were going to count that as a dirty test and require her to take a full drug program. Luckily, the judge disagreed, and that piece of evidence came into uh, came into evidence for the judge to consider. So I've covered the trial with respect to the witnesses and exhibits. Now I want to tell you this before I take a couple calls. If you have a trial, and you don't present witnesses and exhibits, in my opinion, you're going to lose. Let's, I take that back. 95% of the time, you're going to lose. Because judges have to make decisions based upon evidence. That means documents. That means witnesses getting on the stand. If you don't present evidence, the only evidence that's going to come in is the social worker's report, which is 100% against you. Okay, 99% against you. Now, you got the social workers reporting the evidence. You don't put on any, any evidence. Who wins? Well, the social worker. And what happens in a lot of cases is, and I saw this um, happen, I see it happen many times when I'm in court. 
there's a trial. The parent doesn't have any evidence, and all the all they do is argument. So each attorney argues. But I don't think the parents, and sometimes I don't think the attorneys realize, the law in California is attorney argument, it's not evidence. So if, if someone ever tells you, oh, we're going to do, do this by way of argument, you better start asking some questions because basically what they're telling you is you're going to lose. And you're going to lose, you're going to leave court, you're going to blame the system, you're going to blame the judge, you're going to blame the social worker, when in fact it's your fault because you didn't put on any evidence. You know, I tell a lot of, a lot of clients tell me sometimes, hey, I wanted to testify, but my lawyer wouldn't let me. Like, what? Um, you know, the law is very gray in that area, but if you have something to say, you need to talk to your lawyer about testifying. I met a woman, a young woman, you know, she must be 24, 25 years old the other day. She came in to see me with her uh, mother, the grandmother, you know, who's my age. And um, she's about to lose her two children. And according to her, I haven't reviewed the, the file, you know, there's always some things, you know, the client might leave out. But according to her, she told me that she left, lost her children because her ex, the father, had two girls from a gang, which he was in, jump her and beat her up. And uh, they took the kids away from her because of domestic violence. And she's never had a trial. She's never gotten on the stand to testify. And now the case is, you know, 18 months old, and they're going to what's called the 366.26 hearing, and they're going to try to terminate her rights. And I explained the whole court process from the beginning. Um, she took pictures. I diagrammed some stuff for her. And she said, you know, I never knew any of this. You never knew any of this? She said, no, nobody's ever explained this to me. She said, I only talk to my lawyer, you know, two or three minutes before we go into court each time. And she didn't even know that she had had, tri had a trial at the very beginning of the case. Um, she didn't know that at all. And I said, well, you must have testified. She says, no, I've never testified. I told my lawyer that I wanted to testify, but I've never gotten on the stand to tell the judge my point of view. And any time I feel like saying something, my attorney says, be quiet. And now she's like 18, 19 months into the case, and she's moving towards losing her children um, because she never had a trial. There were never every never any witnesses brought in to a defender. So if you're listening and you're a parent or a relative and you go to court, um, talk to the attorneys. Talk to your attorney. Make sure that not having a trial is in your best interest. Have I, have I ever done a case by argument? Yes, I have. But I knew or suspected I knew the outcome. Sometimes, like that case I told you about um, this week, I knew what the judge's decision was going to be in my favor uh, tentatively before we went to the courtroom because we had a, a conference and the county counsel um, or one of the attorneys asked the judge for a tentative decision and nobody objected. I sure did, we didn't object because I wanted to know what the judge thought about the case and the evidence so far. Uh, and don't forget, 
um, I had some exhibits that I did put before the judge, and I, there was a case that I had cited, and apparently the judge knew about it or read the case, and so she gave us a tentative. So there was no need to have a trial. So um, I'm going to stop there. We've talked about witnesses and talked about exhibits. By the way, that's true for any trial. You know, be at the jurisdictional hearing, being the dispositional hearing, being at the 6, the 12, or the 18-month state hearing uh, trial, or even the 2-6 trial, and especially on the 388s that people file um, to try to change court orders or get the child back while the child's placed in foster care. Right now I'm going to take a call from our first caller, First caller is from area code 626, ending in 04. We're having some technical difficulties. Hello? Good morning. This is, good morning. This is attorney Vincent Davis. Did you have a story to tell? Or a question to ask? Uh, yeah, um, well, a question to ask. Um, I just had my my newborn daughter, uh, one month being taken away uh, because of 300J, 300A, and 300B. Um, but we're actually trying to file a form called the habeas corpus. Um, and I don't know how to file it or how to go about it. Okay. Generally, habeas corpus writs are not used in juvenile court. Who told you you should file one? Um, I've been actually speaking like, to different attorneys, and one of them said that uh, I'm able to. Who? What attorney told you that? Um, Kirk Law. Does, does that attorney practice in juvenile dependency court? Um, no, it's family court, I think it is. Right. So here, here's the num- one of the number one top three mistakes people make in the CPS or DCFS case. They hire or speak to the wrong type of attorney. Now, I don't know this attorney. He might be very experienced. I, I just don't know. Um, although I know most of the juvenile practitioners, you know, in the Southern California area. Um, I can't say that I've never seen somebody file a habeas. I can't say you can't file a habeas writ. Uh, You probably could. You may not be successful. But I think if they just detain your child, what I think is you should focus on, I hope you had a contested detention hearing in court. And if you didn't, you're going to be able to have what's called a contested juris or jurisdictional hearing and a contested dispositional hearing, and I think your time, and I don't know the facts, of course, but just from what you've said, Mm -hmm. I think your time may be better spent on preparing for those cases. Like I was talking about earlier, there's a lot of preparation that goes into these trials, or that should go into these trials, and you should probably sit down with your attorney and make sure that you're prepared with the witnesses and the exhibits um, to come Mm -hmm. to court to win those cases. And by the way, in the way they do things here in California, in most counties, you have a lot of time between the detention hearing and the disposition hearing. And there's a lot you could do 
to um, make sure you win the disposition hearing and get the child back because the disposition hearing is probably the most important hearing in all of juvenile dependency uh, cases in California. And it's, it's the only time where you're going to have a test, a legal test, where the social worker says, hey, you should not get your child back because you're a substantial danger. Not a danger, but a substantial danger is what the law says. And that there are no less restrictive alternatives other than placing the child outside your home. And the social worker has to prove both of those by clear and convincing evidence. A lot of people don't understand that. A lot of people just think the disposition and the jurisdictional hearing, since they're done together usually, um, have the same standards, the same tests, the same evidentiary burdens, and it's not true. So if you were, if they're charging you with having, you know, a baby who's under the influence, um, there's a lot that you can do. For example, you could get in a drug program and start testing clean between now and the next, and that dispositional hearing. So if you go back to court, you got, you know, maybe eight to ten to twelve clean tests. It's going to be hard for them to prove that you're a substantial danger, not just a danger, but a substantial danger to the child by clear and convincing evidence. Additionally, there's going to be the whole less restrictive alternative test, and in your case, one of the less restrictive alternatives is, hey, you know, um, I'm in a drug program and I'm testing clean, and you could come see me every day with family preservation services. Um, I could live with a relative uh, who, you know, isn't has a clean record, and they can watch me and make sure that I'm not using drugs, or they'll, you know, because they'll call the police or they'll call the social worker, notify the judge. So there's a lot of things that can be done where you can win this case. Um, so if it's an A, B, and J, it's not, from what you told me, it's not a serious case. You could have said, I got a 300E or a 300I case, and I'm, you know, and I'm going to say, okay, that's going to be tough. You've got to put a lot of work into winning that case. But you have an A, B, and J. And, th and, and those are fairly straightforward, fairly easy, not easy, fairly straightforward as far as winning. You got to put some work into it. You got to get a strategy going, and you got to make sure that you have the right witnesses and the right exhibits at the time of trial. Right. How do we actually get witnesses if the caller, because um, the person who actually called DCFS in the beginning, my when my son was you know injured in 2017, they took him, but he's never had any injury no more. But I had her in 2008, uh, 2018 on May. And for a whole month, I had her social workers knew that I was pregnant and I gave birth. But a month after when I actually called the cops on a neighbor because they threatened me with a gun and I put her husband in jail for pointing a gun at me while I was pregnant and uh, not pregnant when she was three days, she threatened to call DCFS and she actually did call DCFS and that's the reason why we're in court. But um, I mean, there's no proof because I've been testing negative for drug testing. The father's been testing negative for drug testing, and my son hasn't had any injuries. She's healthy, gaining weight, everything. And um, I mean, the reason why they said was they took her was because I was being non-cooperative when they lied about everything. I have videos showing, you know, that the officer and her never even told me that I had a detention hearing, only the father. So I missed the detention hearing, and when I went back to the continuous detention hearing, the judge specifically said, you know, because I'm being non-cooperative and I didn't go to the detention hearing, they removed custody from my from my daughter, and um, oh, because uh, I guess I haven't called them back. 
But that's where I'm kind of confused how they were able to even put it as a prima facie because my son is still, I have visitations with him and he's not hurt. My daughter is not hurt. She's already past the one-month mark because they said that she's at the one-month mark and she might be in danger. But um, that's where it's kind of, uh, how would I subpoena a witness or, you know, regarding that? Okay. So what you need to do is sit down and make a list with your attorney of all the people that could possibly come to court and tell the judge that the allegations are false and that, you know, your character as a mother is good. Okay? Okay. Now, I haven't read your paperwork, but from what you're telling me, it sounds like a very weak case. And I want to say something about this not cooperative stuff. The law doesn't mention anything about you being cooperative with the social worker. However, I have read a couple of appellate cases, and I've seen a lot of judges take that into consideration. Um, There's different levels of being cooperative. Um, That's something that you should speak to your attorney about. You guys should sit down and have, you know, face-to-face or a meeting over the phone because your case, in my mind, can be won with just a little hard work. You know, you can get your children back. Uh Uh-huh. Well, that's the thing. I'm getting my my son back in October because I already almost completed a whole year. So that's what I'm kind of uh, kind of confused how they're able to sit there and take my daughter um, when I'm getting my son back in October. Do you have copies of all the paperwork and the minute orders for all for both cases for the newborn and the uh, child in October? Yes. So what I'm going to invite you to do is today after nine o'clock, call my office make an appointment to come in and see me for a free consultation, but bring all your documents, bring all the minute orders. I need to see those. And the number you uh-huh. call, you have a pen? You have a pen? Yeah. Let me see. Okay, what's the number? It's 888-888-6582. 888-6582. Call that number after 9 o'clock, say about 9.15, my uh, assistant should be here, to make an appointment to come see me just for a free consultation. And if you, okay. I don't know where you live, but if, but if you live too far, we can do the consultation over the phone, we can do it with Skype, and we can do it with a free app called Zoom, Z-O-O-M. That's video conferencing. I can show you stuff on my computer, you know, during the conference. It's really a neat app. But we can meet that way as well. Sometimes, you know, people live hours away from my office, and instead of having them drive here, I just offer them a Skype or Zoom or telephone conference. But if people want to make the drive, I have no problem. Okay? Okay, thank you. Thank you very much for calling and listening. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to make the next caller is area code 805 ending in 08. For some reason, having some technical difficulties with these calls this morning. 
Good morning. Hello. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to hi, tell uh, or a question uh, to ask? Hi, hi uh, Mr. Mr. Davis. My name is Jeff. Yes, Jeff. Did you have a story <laughs> or a question? Uh, question. Um, uh, I, I called uh, two weeks ago um, about um, uh, the the um, the way they took my son. They didn't have a warrant, and, um, and then the the supervisor um, she posted uh, confidential information um, on Facebook, and I traced her uh, um, account back to. Uh, that's how I found out it was the supervisor. She was uh, uh, posting a uh, confidential information. Uh, making fun of me and my wife. Um, it's just a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, but but now I'm at, I'm at the point now where um, I'm at my appeal. I just want my son placed with my aunt Barbara. Now my aunt Barbara was there day one. She has no criminal background at all. She works for NBC News. Has a mansion in Malibu. Now she, you know, uh, and you told me that uh, she was within the fifth degree of kinship. And uh, that that well, was she, uh, the mistake. Aunt, yeah. She's my aunt, yeah. So my my son's uh, great aunt. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, um, did, did did the judge make an error? Well, and not I placing uh. Say again. I wasn't there, so I'm I'm not sure if the judge made an error or not. But I can tell you what the law is. You know, the law is, and this is a uh, Welfare and Institutions Code section three zero nine. That children uh, must be placed with relatives. Okay. Um, what what stage of the case are you at? Uh, I'm I'm barely hanging on to my appeal. Okay. <laughs> the the appeal. Okay, of, uh, appeal of what? The jurisdictional and dispositional uh, uh, hearing. The appeal I, I, of I was appealing. I, I was I was appealing my my termination of parental rights because uh, they said I was on drugs, but uh, uh, no, no, I was not. I was taking my, my prescription pills for ADHD, uh, Adderall. Okay. And, uh, well, and, here, um, here, here is, here's the deal. Here's the deal. When did you, your aunt first tell the social worker, hey, I want they the child? Right away, right away. And she was there at the family team meeting, and, and, and uh, the social workers told her, uh, Barbara, uh, uh, that's her name, Barbara. Barbara, uh, go ahead and take a week off. And get your house ready, and then come on back and get him. Now she was there that day to grab my son and take him home, but the social workers they suggested that she take a week off. She, oh, that's fine, and, and they all agreed that's fine. It was more than one, and they they convinced her to leave that day without having my son. Now at the family team meeting, the the foster parents that want to adopt my son they were already there. You know, like, uh, so this this is very rigged, and I, I have tons of, like, I, I had uh, the workers, they, they, uh, I tried to report the, uh, the supervisor, the the main one, Betsy Watson. Uh, I, I called the number in the back for the, the state um, uh, internal affairs, because her uh, her husband and her, uh, they, uh, they, they wrote publicly on my Facebook on my wife and mine's birthday, making fun of me and my wife. And they thought it would be anonymous, but no. I traced the IP. I have proof that you know she was drunk or something. She's she like, well, the fact that uh, you and your wife are on drugs is probably the way uh, the reason why your son was taken away. I was never convicted for being on drugs. I just said what I had to, just so they they quit freaking harassing uh, my wife and my disabled mother. Okay. Anyways, um, 
it, that's one of the uh, big story I would like to talk to you about if I ever uh, get a chance. End result is my aunt Barbara. Uh, she finished all her uh, what do you call it uh, um, uh, classes, right? To uh, be eligible for a foster uh, uh, parent, right, Vincent? Yeah, I'm listening. Yeah, yeah. She, she did all her classes because, like, after after she came back after that week, and they said. Oh well, um, you know, you still have to uh, uh, finish uh, this and that. Uh, he's fine. He's fine where he's at, and so and so. Um, they strung her along, and she completed all her classes in LA County. Okay, uh, um, she she uh, she lives in LA County uh, in Malibu in the hills. Um, Wait, what, Ventura County CPS. Sagan. Your name is Jeff. Jeff, good. Yes, I have a, everything they did wrong. You know, like. Okay. So this is what you should do, Jeff. I want you to get a pen and a piece of paper. I I, I have a pen, paper again, like like last time. I'm. In, did you write down my telephone number from the last caller? No, I I did, I did write out. I I was trying. Uh, go ahead. It's triple eight triple eight six five eight two. Six five eight two. So triple eight. Eight eight. So after eight, eight, nine. Six five eight two. Correct. Okay. Yes. After nine, after nine a.m. today, I want you to call that number, and I want you to make an appointment to come see me with all your paperwork and bring your aunt Barbara. Uh, okay. Um, cool. Uh, she's on vacation for the next uh, uh, four days, but um, uh, I, I could definitely have her Skype. You know, um, she, she uh, travels a lot to Europe, to, um, but um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 most definitely, I, I am prepared to give you everything I have. And this, <laughs> this is this is incredible, man. Like you know, they they get to lie, and even when they're caught, nobody cares. Well, listen, I have another problem too. My wife is pregnant, okay. And every single person I talked to said they're going to take your baby right away. They'll take your baby. Now, there's no way to, to protect my 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 child out the gate. They're going to uh, you take might my, take you might consider again? Uh, moving. You might consider moving out of the county. Move out of the county, really. Even though nothing yeah. was done. Just, or just because or like, out of the state. Vincent, is that bad? Yes, unfortunately. That's disgusting. I've, I've seen this happen many times to people. Well, every, every person I talked to said that they're going to take your child right away. I'm like, well, well why? For what reason? Well, well take it. a county social workers, a county social workers for LA County, they own, their authority only extends to the county line. So if you're in yes, another county, list. they can't do yes. anything to you. And by the way, if you do move, don't tell them where you're moving to, because they'll no, call no, 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 that but... county and they'll start harassing you. Yes, yeah, see, I, I kind of figured that, but I, you know, I, I just could not believe that everyone's telling me you'll, you'll like go into hiding. <laughs> You know, this is out of control. I'm not telling you to. I'm not telling. I'm not telling you to go into hiding. I'm telling you to move. No, not officially, but no, it's going into hiding just to have, have my child. I, I, am I going to be a target for life? Is it like no? I think I, I can do. Two- um, yeah. Don't have any further contact with them. Don't tell them where you live, and try to live your life. You know, without getting in further uh, contact with CPS. Oh my God. Well, you, you're the experts, so. Okay, yeah, I, I will most definitely let, let, uh, call you uh, around nine. Um, 
That's okay. Um, I'll get a hold of my aunt Barbara. Yeah, but- and um, uh, the judges at the appeals, they said um, uh, um, that my son would go straight to Barbara family if the foster parents didn't go through with adopting him. Right, but the now, problem is is that Barbara should have gotten the child from the very beginning. See, I have a feeling that maybe Barbara came into the case too late. And if that happens, um, you know, the, the, the court starts looking at the relationship the child has built with the foster parents. And sometimes late in the case, that can outweigh the right of the child and the right of the relatives to be placed together. So I tell people, you know, move move quickly and move fast in the uh, in the uh, relative placement uh, arena. This is uh, it's, okay? it's insane. <laughs> uh, what about the fact that I, I have proof that they all conspired against me? Like they were biased from the uh, the supervisor, right? Um, as soon as the, I, I tracked down the email and saw her picture, I asked every single one of my workers. Uh, uh, um, I, I printed out the picture. And I'm like, uh, do you know this woman? Do you just because she's familiar? And they all they all said no, 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 no. Uh, uh, straight to my face. And uh, well, e- even uh, yes. Y- yes, is it? I'm gonna I'm gonna cut you off because I want to speak to you in person about all of this evidence. Okay. Um, okay. I, I really appreciate. It. All right. I want to I thank you for calling. I'm, I'm going to try to take one more call before we run out of time today, okay? Okay, I'll call you uh, uh, between 9 and 9.30. Okay? Thank, thank Perfect. you so much. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to try to take one more call for this hour the show today. Um, it's going to be area code 818 ending in 88. So having that technical difficulty, talking to my producer. Okay, it doesn't look like we're going to be able to take the call because of uh, some type of technical difficulty. Before we we sign off today, I want to tell a story uh, that's related to the last call. A few years ago, I get a call from a woman who is an executive of a mining company uh, in the Midwest. She she actually owns the mining company. And her husband is a local school principal. And they're both both very involved with um, their local church. I think he was a deacon. The husband's sister came to... Palm Springs with a guy from the, their hometown. Unfortunately, they got involved in drugs and the social workers took the child from them. This woman and her husband flew out to uh, the L.A. area, went to the court, the very first court hearing, and told the judge, hey, we want the child placed with us. Now, they're at the first hearing where he's interfering. The judge says, okay, and apparently orders either at the detention hearing or the disposition hearing 
what's called an ICPC, Interstate Compact for the Placement of Children, to have the relatives checked out to make sure that the um, kid is going to be safe. They fly back home, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait. And finally, the ICPC is done, and they're approved, and it's sent back to the social worker here in Riverside County. And they wait some more, they wait some more, and they wait some more. Nothing's ever done. So finally, a few weeks, maybe a month or two before the final hearing where the parents' parental rights were going to be terminated, the uh, relatives from back in the Midwest call me and say, hey, this is what's happened. Um, you know, can you represent us to get us to get I said, well, it's a little late in the game. Um, why didn't you call me earlier? She said, because we thought the social worker would do the right thing and place the child with family above foster parents. I said, well, that's not necessarily the case. And the social worker is saying, well, we don't want to place the child with me now because the child has a relationship with the foster parent. And um, and so we, I file all my paperwork. We have a trial. At the trial, the social worker admits that she took an unusual amount of time to start the ICPC. And she admitted that when the ICPC was approved, that that sat on her desk for weeks without informing the court. I lost that trial, and the child was not placed and allowed to be adopted with the foster parents. The moral of the story is sometimes you just can't rely or trust the social worker you're going to have to get your own attorney and make sure that the children are placed with you if you're a relative. Don't rely on the social worker, the social worker to do the right thing. Because sometimes social workers make mistakes. Sometimes social workers have their own agendas. And sometimes social workers make mistakes and have their own agendas. So... If you're a relative and you want a child, appear early, appear often, and get an attorney to make sure. You know, I, I have a social, I, I'm doing a case right now for the relative who doesn't have the child, by the way, and the social worker told my client, number one, Davis doesn't know what he's doing. Luckily, my client knew that that was false. She had seen my YouTube videos. The next thing the social worker tells my client you don't need an attorney. Both of those things were false. Remember, get an attorney and appear often. I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll see you next week on the radio.